You are listening to an Elam Christian Center podcast. We hope that you are inspired, encouraged, and empowered by the message you are about to hear. Atamarie, good morning, everyone. It's so good to see you all at church. Elam Christian Center, Botany, wow, wow, wow. You are looking good. Uh, can I just greet everyone online as well? So good to see you all. And, and Botany, I just wanted to uh, thank you so sincerely from the bottom of my heart as someone who's from the Manudewa campus. Thank you so much for your continued generosity. Thank you for the heart, not just for a church in East Auckland that is strong and doing great things for the kingdom, but a heart for the city and the church of the city and even up into the nation as well. Just you guys are absolutely amazing and you can give yourselves a round of applause this morning because you're just that good. You're a good church is what you are. You're a wonderful bunch of people and so it's great to be with you this morning and I'm going to get straight to the Word of God. I'm going to um, speak this morning on a text that's very well known. In fact, I would call it a very uh, amenable portion of Scripture. There are certain portions of Scripture in church that you read out that you're almost guaranteed to get an amen even if you quote it completely out out of context. And this is one of those scriptures. So this morning I'm going to be speaking from Joshua 24:15, as for me and my house we will serve the Lord. There you go. You read your cue. Well done. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your words. It's living and it's active and it has the power to change us. And we're so conscious as, as we come today, Lord God, we're humbling ourselves beneath the authority of your word. Because we don't want to be a people that we think please you. We want to be formed into a people who actually please you, who bear your image, who shine your light to the communities that we've been placed into. So right now we pray that you would humble our hearts and change us and shape us according to your word. In Jesus' name I pray and everyone said, amen. amen. Have you ever been in one of those situations that forces you to make a decision between one thing or the other. This is the sort of situation that removes all your other options. The sort of decision where there's no gray area, where you can't sit in the in-between. You can't stand in a place of gray or compromise. You have to choose one decision or the other. I'm grateful for situations like this. And I remember one when I was young, uh, I had a, you know, a pretty standard sort of fear of heights when I was younger. And I remember going on a school camp and uh, we had an activity at school camp. We were like to go down the abseil tower. And you know, I'm the sort of personality that I was like making a big noise on the way up about my boldness and about how great I was, how excited I was for the Abseil Tower. But I got to the top of the Abseil Tower as like, you know, a 10-year-old. I got the harness on, I'm standing on the edge, and then I did the mistake. I kind of like, you know, took a sneaky glance down. And uh, I saw how high I was, and suddenly I was in a battle, like a battle between my fear of heights or my faith in my ability to make it down the Absal Tower, my faith in the harness, all those sorts of things. And I was in a battle. Which of these things was going to have my allegiance? Which of these things was going to have my highest commitment? Was it my fear, or was it my faith in my ability to do this? And I wish today I could say that I confidently, you know, and beautifully, abseiled down the tower, but instead I dissolved into tears and walked past my classmates, a walk of shame you might say, walked past my classmates and down to my cabin. 
Uh, my faith won that day. My fear won that day. It had my highest allegiance. But luckily for me, we went back to the same campsite the year after. Same campsite, same activity, same ad sale tower. And you better believe that that time I abseiled the whole way down that thing. <laughs> yes, you can clap for my 10-year-old self. Yeah, I was like, feels good this morning. In that competition between my fear and my faith, my fear won. But I'm grateful for these sorts of situations which put you in a place which reveals your allegiance, which reveals what has your highest commitment. Because sometimes in life, there's no such thing as a gray area. Sometimes in life, there's no such thing as an in-between. Friend, when it comes to matters of your allegiance, your highest commitment, your highest loyalty, there is no such thing as nothing, and there's no such thing as multiple things. You can't be loyal to nothing, because you better believe that loyalty to nothing is just loyalty to self. But you can't be loyal to multiple things because what happens when those multiple things start to come in competition with one another? You see, if I had avoided abseil towers all my life, that would not have meant that I wasn't afraid of heights. It would have just meant that my fear was hidden, it was lived with, it was just kind of swept under the cover or hidden in the cupboard or closed away where no one could see it. If it wasn't for the decision point where I was forced to decide what is my allegiance, where does my allegiance really lie, I would never have a chance to expose my allegiance and overcome it. And that really is the context of this text today. Joshua is at the end of his life in this text. This is his last official act as the leader, the mediator of Israel. And so what he's doing is he's gathering the people together at Shechem, and what he's trying to do is force a decision point. He's trying to get Israel out of the grave. He's trying to get Israel out of the place of compromise. He's trying to get them to choose their highest allegiance. Scholars call what's happening here a covenant renewal. At the end of his life, Joshua is trying to get them to make a decision to serve the Lord their God. And that's an important context for this text because if you go away and you read Joshua 24, which I highly, highly encourage you to do, you need to be prepared for this chapter to get in your face. You need to understand about Joshua that he is at the end of his life. And I say this with great empathy to all the older people in the room, but as you get to the end of your life, it is my observation that you lose your filter. Suddenly, you have gained permission to say whatever good thing that comes into your mind. And I, for one, think you've earned it. So you do you, okay? You absolutely do you. But that's Joshua at the end of this text. He's getting older. This is his last act. He's gathering these people. And he's kind of like, this is my last opportunity to speak into the spiritual health of Israel. And he is not trying to tickle their ears. He is not trying, friend, to not offend anyone. He is not trying to give them an encouraging, you know, pep talk, and then away they go. No, no, no. He is trying to force them into a decision point. Because Joshua understands that this people he's leading, 
are compromised. He understands that they are in the gray. And the reason I know that is because multiple times in Joshua 24, he asks them to bury their foreign gods. And in fact, he takes them to Shechem. Shechem is only mentioned twice previously in Scripture. And in one of those places, it's where Jacob is asking his family to bury their foreign gods in the same, under the same tree that actually Joshua puts a memorial stone under at the end of this text. See, Joshua knows, man, these people are compromised. These people have divided loyalty. They have divided allegiance, divided commitment. And so as the last act... As the leader of Israel, he's like, man, I want to renew their covenant. I want to see their covenant with the Lord their God renewed. Let's read it in Joshua's own words, Joshua 24, verse 14 to 15. This is what he says. Now, fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Here it is. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates. That's talking about the time before the call of Abraham. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But get this, listen to this. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, if you're lukewarm and on the fence, this is what he says. He says, make a decision. Make it plain. Then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. And then he makes the pronouncement. He says, but as for me and my household, we will make a decision to stand and serve for the Lord your God. Incredible passage of Scripture. And I find it fascinating that the foreign gods that Joshua identifies as stealing the allegiance of Israel, stealing the loyalty of Israel, are the gods of their ancestors beyond the Euphrates and the gods of the Amorites. Now, the Amorites were the surrounding culture. They were the people who surrounded, ooh, that would preach Steve Green, I'm telling you right now, it would, but I'm going to be nice, maybe. All right. That's what Joshua was saying. He's like, listen, Israel, this is where it gets in our business, guys. Are you ready? He says, he says, listen, the gods that you keep hidden in your homes, hidden in your tents, hidden in your cupboards, while at the same time professing to follow the Lord, those gods, those hidden gods that are actually dividing your allegiance, they're the gods of your ancestors and the gods of the surrounding culture. If I was to put that in modern language, I would say that they are the gods of our family and the gods of the culture that surrounds us. And friends, I think that this observation that Joshua makes of what steals our commitment and what steals our allegiance isn't so far away from what we experience today. Let me tell you right now, the, the gods that will try and come after your allegiance and your commitment are the ones that your family has traditionally worshipped, and it's the gods of the surrounding culture. And so it's important for us to know what is the altar that our families have bowed the knee at. And it could be things like money. It could be things like addiction. It could be a repeated pattern of behavior. It could be a matriarch or a patriarch. It could be the concept of family itself. But you better believe that there is something in you that is drawn to the worship of what your family worshiped. And I, for one, do not want to worship at the broken altars my family worshiped at. But the other one that's going to come for your allegiance, friend, are the gods of the surrounding cultures. 
And friend, we know this intimately because we feel in our culture the exaltation of feelings, the exaltation of self, the temptation to building our relationship with God actually around a relationship with self or a tickling of feelings. We feel that in ourselves, the way our culture worships success. Friend, these are the temptations that are after your heart. And so the challenge for Israel is not just a challenge for Israel, it's a challenge for us. Pick this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, I'll serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. We will have undivided, undivided allegiance to the Lord your God. This is what this text is calling us to. Now listen, you might be here and saying, well, Haley, that feels pretty intense. That feels pretty harsh. You should have saved this for the end of your message instead of doing it so early when it warmed us up a little bit. I don't do warm-ups, okay? Worship is the warm-up, all right? <laughs> That's why I was jumping, you know, getting ready for this message, you know? <laughs> you might be saying, well, Haley, this seems like a, a little bit radical. It seems a bit hard line. Like, why can't I worship more than one thing? Why can't I worship or have allegiance to both God and money or God and my feelings? And the simple reason is that your allegiances will always one day come in competition, like if you say that your allegiance is to God and money, what happens when one day your love for money, your allegiance for money calls you to step on the people God's called you to love? Or, you know, you might be moving your life or centering your life around feelings and your feelings are telling you, oh, people hurt, people are gonna hurt you one day and so your feelings are telling you to isolate when you know God calls you to do life in community. The reality is you can't be allegiant to more than one thing because sooner or later your loyalties, your commitments will end up in competition with one another and then the decision point will be exposed. Now it's important to say that even though I've jumped this on you all really quickly in the first five minutes of the message, Joshua doesn't actually do that to the house of Israel. So perhaps I should have taken some cues from him. He prepares them for the decision. He prepares them for this decision point. He prepares them to choose where they're going to put their allegiance. He wants them to think about the decision before they make it. So that the decision wasn't just a response to, you know, the feeling of the moment, but actually it was something that they had considered and thought through. And he does this. He prepares them for the decision by taking them to a place called Shechem. And Shechem, as I said previously, is mentioned twice elsewhere in Scripture. This is what it says, just to prove to you from the text that they are in Shechem. Verse 1, then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. Because you should always fact check your preachers, okay? So there it is in the Word of God, all right? They're, at, they're definitely at Shechem, all right? He summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. So he's trying to make them think about the decision. He does so by bringing them to Shechem because Shechem prompts a number of thoughts. I'm still laughing at my fact check joke. No one else is, but I am. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I amused myself. Sorry, very sorry. But I'm, you know, going to continue. Thanks, Bex. Firstly, Shechem prompts them to look back. Prompts them to look back. This is amazing. Like I said earlier, Shechem is only mentioned in two narratives prior to this in Scripture. And uh, both of those narratives, actually, Joshua references in this text. And I can't go into the second reference, but 
I want to show you the first time Shechem is ever mentioned in, in Scripture. It's in Genesis 12, verse 1, and then I'm going to jump down in the text. See, the Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And so it says, so Abraham went as the Lord had told him. I'm going to keep going down. Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land and the Lord appeared to Abraham, and this is what he said, to your offspring, I will give this land. And so he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. This is the first place where God shows Abraham the land that Israel will occupy. This is the first place where God says, this is the place where your house, where your family will one day occupy. And get this, Joshua brings them to Shechem. He brings them to a place where their feet can stand in the fulfillment of a promise. And he says, choose this day whom you will serve. In other words, before God asks for Israel's faithfulness, he reminds them of his. Before he asks them for their loyalty, he reminds them of his he reminds them that before they even knew him, when they were far from him, he called Abraham. He made promises to Abraham. He kept them as a family. He made them into a nation. And now here their feet are standing in the fulfillment of a promise. Friend, before you make decisions around what you're gonna give your allegiance, your loyalty, your commitment to, you've gotta look back. Look back and see the God who loved you enough to die for you when you were still an enemy of him. That's the facts. Look back and see the working of a God who has been working for you even when you didn't notice. Look back and see the faithfulness of a God who remained faithful even when we were faithless to him because this is the God we serve. Man, why would we give our loyalty to anything that has our back less than the Lord our God? You know, at our church, we sing that song, Goodness of God, and I don't know if you sing it here, but every time we get to the chorus, like it goes off. Because everyone in this place, listen, you might not have known it when you were going through it, but if you look back on the content of your life, my only confession can be that all my life, he's been faithful. All my life, he's been so, so good. And so if I want to make decisions about my allegiance and my commitment, you better believe that I'll be looking back at the God who kept me, the God who protected me, the God who was with me, the God who provided for me, the God who has been my refuge and strength for all the days of my life before I make decisions about my commitment. I'm looking back. I'm looking back. The second reason he takes them to Shechem is to get them to look around. See, geographically, Shechem is actually situated between two mountains, Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. And when you stand in Shechem, you can see both of these mountains. And these mountains are really, really important to the narrative of Scripture. Deuteronomy 27 verse 12, this is Moses' last speech to Israel, and this is what he tells them. When you have crossed the Jordan, these tribes shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people. Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And these tribes shall stand on Mount Ebal to pronounce 
curses. Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, Naphtali. So from Mount Gerizim, which they conceived from Shechem, blessings which followed covenant faithfulness were pronounced. And from Mount Ebal, curses which followed covenant faithlessness were pronounced. You know, to this day, commentators say that Mount Gerizim is carpeted in lush green forest, whereas Mount Ebal is brown and barren and lifeless. Isn't it fascinating that Mount Gerizim representing covenant faithfulness and blessing is abounding in life, and Mount Ebal, which represents covenant disobedience and faithlessness, is marked with barrenness and death. I hope you see the picture because Joshua brings them to a place that is in the midst of these two mountains. And he's like, look to Gerizim, look to Ebal. He's like, look at these mountains and see what happens when we choose the narrow road which leads to life or the wide road which leads to death. See, Joshua is a good leader. He doesn't want his people to make a decision ignorant of the consequences. He's pointing out a reality that when I give my life to my Savior, who is abounding in life, actually who is life itself, then my life follows suit. I am full of life and vitality. I'm like Mount Gerizim. But the opposite is true. When I turn my back on he who is life, my life becomes barren and brown. It becomes like my Mount Ebal. See, the reality is that Joshua is bringing them to this place because he's like, you don't just look back to see God's faithfulness. You look back to see the consequences of the decision that you're going to make. There's only one path that leads to life, and that's the path of Mount Gerizim. He's like, I don't want you to make, make you ignorant of the decision that you're making. And so he says, look around. And can I encourage you day to day, church, to look around. See, having prompted Israel to look back and around, Joshua finally takes Israel to the decision point. He says, choose this day. Choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that Hebrew word for house is bayet, and at its most superficial, it means dwelling place. But actually, more broadly speaking, it's talking about the people that live in their house, the family who dwell there. And when house is used in this context, it's more talking about household. Joshua was saying, as for me and my family, as for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. And I need to admit to you today, I've always struggled with that scripture. I'll amen it with everyone else, because so inspiring, but I've always struggled with that scripture because I thought to myself, what gives Joshua the right to make the decision for his entire house? Like, did they have a pre-covenant renewal ceremony meeting with him and his household where they went, yep, we're going together, we're going to serve the Lord? I've always wondered, why does Joshua have the right to give away the allegiance of his entire house? Because in my experience, that's impossible. Like parents will know that they can influence their children greatly, but one day, one day their children will need to make a decision for themselves of what has their highest loyalty, 
What has their highest commitment? What has their highest allegiance? And so what is Joshua actually saying here? Is he really saying that he's giving away his family allegiance? And actually to understand the scripture, you need to go to a pair of stories in Joshua 6 and Joshua 7. The first in Joshua 6 is about Rahab and the spies. When the spies arise, Israeli spies arrive at her house and she shelters them. And in response for her doing that, it says that her and all her household are saved. The other story is a story of Achan. And this story is of Achan's sin or disobedience. And the Bible tells us in Joshua 7 that all of Achan's household participates in the consequences of his disobedience. What is this telling us? The point is that while we might not be able to make decisions on behalf of the individuals of our house, there is no doubt that our households participate in the consequences of the decision of who we're going to give our allegiance to. And we know this, don't we? We know this through experience. We know that when someone in our house is flourishing, making good decisions, going after the Lord, the whole house experiences the blessing that comes with that. But we also know the opposite is true, don't we? We know that when someone is far from God and making decisions that possibly aren't the best, that the whole household participates in the consequences of that as well. We know this. And you know, as I was talking to someone about this message, she gave me this picture to help illustrate this point. Imagine for a second the house. See, when one person, just one, come on somebody, when just one person decides, I'm gonna serve the Lord, it is like opening the front door of your house to the blessing, to the goodness, to the faithfulness, to the protection, to the guidance of our God. Just one, just one. They could be 16 and they're opening the front door of your house to the goodness of God. They could be 84 and opening the front door of your house to the goodness of God because like it or not, our house, our family participate and the consequences of who we're going to give our allegiance to. And so in saying this, Joshua makes us look to one more thing. He says, don't just look back. Don't just look around. When it comes to decisions about your allegiance, please look to your house. Look to your house. Because your household will participate in the consequences of your decision of where you're going to give your allegiance. So friend, don't just look to yourself and don't just look back. Don't just look around, but look to your family. Look to your household. Look to the ones who you do life with. Look, look to your house. I'm gonna ask the band to join me. I forgot to do it earlier, my bad. I got too excited about my, what I was saying. See, look to your house and ask this. If my decision to be faithful or faithless opens the front door of my house, what do I want to open the door to? Do I want my family participating in the consequences of my faithlessness? Do I want my children, my spouse, my brothers, my sisters to see me worshipping at the broken altars of culture or the broken altars of family and then worship there too? Do I want them fighting the battles that I fought? 
Do I want them really worshipping in an altar of culture which spends their precious life on success or fame or feelings? Or do I want to open the door of my life and my family's life to God's goodness? Because I want my family, I want my house to participate in God's goodness now. (laughs) I want them to participate in God's blessing now. I want them to see his love now. I want them to see his wisdom and his leading and his healing and his guidance now because the reality is I can't speak for you, but I can speak for me. I'm desperate that my household wouldn't worship at the broken altars of family and culture. I am desperate that their allegiance does not belong to that because I want their allegiance to belong to the one who chose them before they ever even chose him. I want their allegiance to belong to the one who made a way for them to return when they were still a great way off. The one who loved them enough to die for them, even when they were still his enemy. The one who will be faithful to them, even when they're faithless. The one who will keep them from now into eternity as they walk in step with him. And if I want them to choose him then, the best thing I can do for them is choose him now. As for me and my house, I will, we will serve the Lord. See, that is what the scripture is talking about. It's a radical declaration that says no matter what circumstance, no matter what's happening, I'm going the Lord's way, not just for him, but for the ones who come after me. And so I'm wondering today, church, if there's some people who would be open enough to admit that I've been tolerating some compromise and I've been sharing my allegiance But today, I'm at Shechem. I'm at Shechem. And I'm looking back. And I'm looking around. And I'm looking to my house. And I'm declaring, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so if that's you, with every eye closed and every head bowed, that's your altar call. If you're saying today, I'm making that commitment right now, raise your hand. You're saying, as for me and my house, thank you, thank you, I see those hands. Thank you, thank you, I see those hands. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Come on, is there more in this place? Thank you, God bless you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Come on, this is a covenant renewal for us. We're coming back. Thank you, I see that hand. You're saying, I'm not tolerating division and I'm not tolerating compromise. Thank you, I see those hands. Thank you, I see those hands. Today you're saying, thank you, God bless you. 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 Thank you, thank you, God bless you. You're saying today, I will not compromise anymore. I'm making the declaration that it's for me and my house will serve the Lord. Is there anyone else? Anyone else? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Awesome, awesome, thank you, awesome. I'm gonna pray the salvation prayer because I think this is a renewal moment. And I'm gonna ask that we pray it together because friend, today we're back on the altar saying all my heart, all my soul, all my life in service for the one true God. Come on, let's pray together. Repeat after me. Say, dear Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner in need of a savior. Today, I lay myself on the altar again. All I am is yours. I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. 
And everyone said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Thank you for listening to this Elam Christian Centre podcast. Please subscribe to keep hearing more life-changing messages. For more information about our church, please visit www.elamchristiancentre.org.nz.